So we are continuing this morning in our study of struggles, Christian struggles. We've been going through, uh, we started a couple weeks ago of different words in the Bible that have to do with human struggles. And, and like worry and suffering, these are the two that we've already talked about, worry and suffering. Shame is a near universal human struggle. Now, there is, uh, it's not universal, let's put it that way. There are people who do not feel shame. We typically call them sociopaths or psychopaths, right? That's, that's one of the things about that kind of a person is they do not feel shame. Shame is a function of human existence, proper human existence, the way that God wants us to be. It's a complicated thing. It is both a feeling, that is you can feel but it is also a social mechanism. It is something that other people feel in regards to our behavior as an incentive, right? This is an incentivizing thing. We see this in Proverbs, the three verses in Proverbs that sort of articulate this idea. Proverbs 18, 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Well, that's the person who did the wrong thing, right? They should feel the shame because they did this thing. Uh, Proverbs 19, 26, he who does violence to his father and mother and chases, uh, violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. Well, it's not shame and reproach on him. It's on his father and mother. That's what it's saying, right? So now the person who did the wrong thing is not necessarily feeling the shame. There is shame on the father and mother. And, and what would that be? Because, well, the, obviously the, the idea there is that maybe people feel father and mother didn't do what they should have done. Proverbs 25, 7 through 8, What your eyes have seen do not hastily bring to court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Again, this is, again, the, the individual feeling of shame, right? I did the wrong thing. But this is more of a social idea, that you've gone to public court. Now everybody knows your shame. Your neighbor, he articulated his case very well, and now you look like an idiot in your, what you did, your lawsuit that you did. So we see sort of this complicated idea of shame contrasted with guilt, right? We're contrasting shame with guilt. Guilt is the individual thing. The feeling that you've done something wrong. Guilt. Shame has a secondary aspect to it. Shame is very similar to guilt in that we feel that we've done something wrong, but shame has a social component to it, a public component to it. It is not just the thing that I feel, but it is a thing that I feel in relation to my community, the things, the people around me that can either feel shame or cause me to feel shame. And we see the proper function, right? I feel like I'm cutting in and out. Am I cutting in and out? I feel like I am on this thing. It's kind of weird. Uh, in these verses, we can see the proper function of shame, right? To motivate change. What does he say in Proverbs 25? The shame motivates you before, right? Don't do the thing that you want to do because if you do this thing, you'll end up shamed. But here in Proverbs 18, 13, similar idea, right? It is his folly and shame if he gives an answer before he hears. So don't do that. But if you do those things, then correct it. Do it differently in the next time. Shame is not an inherently bad thing. I really want to emphasize this. Shame is not an inherently bad thing. But it can become a struggle if what? If we subvert the purpose of shame in our lives, it can prevent us from seeking help and forming relationships. If I let it consume me, if I don't let it change my behavior, if I just keep doing the things that I, are causing me shame, if I keep living the kind of life that I feel ashamed of, then I don't seek the help that I need. Maybe it's help from people in the church. Maybe it's help from 
a therapist. Maybe it's help from some sort of financial help, whatever it could be, right? It keeps me from forming relationships. I feel isolated because if I get to know this person, then they'll learn this thing that I'm so ashamed of. Creates loneliness and isolation. When we allow it to consume us, it isolates us. It causes negative behavioral feedback loops. What do I mean by that? I feel ashamed of a behavior. And rather than letting that shame lead me to change, I feel bad about it, and that makes me think about it more, and then I start doing it more, and then I feel more shame in this feedback loop over and over and over because I'm not seeking help. I'm not seeking the ones that can help me correct the behavior. It isolates me, and so I'm more likely to do the thing in the future. This feedback loop, when I let it consume me, it's important that when our aversion to shame can cause us to either redefine right and wrong, because I don't want to feel ashamed of what I'm doing, it must not be wrong, right? It's shame because I think it's wrong. We'll talk about that in just a minute. When I allow my shame to cause me to change my definition of right and wrong, to be ashamed of the wrong things. And so the way to overcome this struggle of shame, the shame that, I don't know, maybe you're struggling with it a lot. The way to do this, to overcome this, is to put it in its proper place. Number one, what makes you feel shame? And number two, what do you do about it? Right? You just live with it. As we see first, shame has a proper purpose and function in our lives. Genesis 3, 7 through 10, this is the first instance of shame. Now, the word's not used in this verse, but we see it here. Then the, this is, of course, after Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit. We talked about this a little bit in Bible class. The eyes of both were open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife hid themselves. They are ashamed from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden when the Lord called the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Here's number one, point number one. Shame comes from our knowledge of right and wrong. Shame is a result of knowledge. It's one of the reasons that kids don't feel shame the same way. Now, they might feel guilt, but they don't feel shame the same way we do, right? Think about Gideon, he's unashamed. He just runs through the house naked. He doesn't care, doesn't have a care in the world. In fact, he feels free, freedom from clothing. He doesn't understand, he doesn't have any conceptualization, right, of Adam and Eve, as Adam and Eve here, of right and wrong. Shame comes from knowledge. Knowledge of our actions and whether they are right or wrong. And so we see the proper function of shame in 1 Corinthians 6, 5 through 6. I say this to your shame. Can it be there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brother, but brother goes to law against brother and therefore that before unbelievers? What is Paul saying? It's a shameful thing that you're going to public court. A shame. You should feel shame about that. Is there nobody can do, that can do this within the church? 1 Corinthians 15, 33 uses the same phrase. Do not be, be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. Some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. And it was a shameful thing for not the individual who had no knowledge of God, but for the congregation that there were people in their midst that had no knowledge of God. Shame on the congregation that they're not correcting that. They just keep on sinning. 
2 Thessalonians 3.13, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If, nobody, uh, if anybody does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. This idea, again, we see not just the guilt, but the social aspect of shame. That there is an element of shame that is a result of how others perceive my actions. And this person who is doing this, they're not obeying what's in this letter, the Thessalonian letter here. Maybe they didn't know right and wrong. They didn't feel shame because they didn't know that they should be doing this or they didn't think it was right or wrong. The function of the group was give them knowledge that what they're doing is wrong so they will feel shame. And they gave them that knowledge by not associating with that person. The ability to feel shame is a fundamental part of righteousness. I want to say this again. Shame lets you know that something is wrong. If you have no ability to feel shame, it's either one of two things. Either you're totally ignorant of right and wrong, or you just don't care. Right? And when you just don't care about right and wrong, that's where you wander in the territory of psychopaths and sociopaths. That's why they don't feel shame, because they don't care. Shame lets us know that something is wrong in my life even if you don't feel it individually, because either you don't know what's right or wrong, you don't care. Again, the social function of shame can do the same thing. When we as a group refuse to associate with the Christian who continues to live in sin, the goal is that that person will feel that they are doing something wrong. Shame comes from knowing what is good, and feeling shame is a sign that you know better. It becomes a problem, a struggle, when we don't allow it to motivate change. Because if I feel wrong that I'm doing whatever it is, X, Y, or Z thing, I'm doing the wrong thing, I know I'm doing the wrong thing, I continue to struggle with shame if I don't change it. Now, we can think about the, the function here, the things that we know that we're supposed to do. We'll talk about it a little bit more at the end, right? The idea of confession. Confession is not a shameful thing. Confession is the first step to removing shame, right? When you know you're doing something wrong, you confess that to your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's step one to getting rid of it. It doesn't add more shame because you confess what's wrong. It, it begins to remove the shame because you are starting to do the right thing. When we refuse to repent and turn from our sin, this is how it becomes isolating and consuming because I won't change, I don't change, I don't do different things and so I feel it in my bones, this, this guilt and shame and, and rather than doing what's right or, or, or changing it, I don't want other people to know about it. I'm paralyzed by my fear that other people will learn about my shame and that's what creates this isolation, right? Because I won't confess, I won't repent, I won't make it right. It destroys us when we wallow in it rather than use it. And our aversion to shame can end up warping our perception of right and wrong itself. right? Because shame comes from knowledge of right and wrong. I can either remove shame by correcting it or I can remove shame by changing how I define right and wrong. And we see this, right? Nobody likes to feel shame, either in themselves or in how others deal with them. And so the worldly impulse is to reclassify or ignore shame, to reframe our actions in such a way that shame is not the result. I did this wrong thing. I feel bad about it. Well, I can remove the feeling bad about it if I actually think, well, actually, it's right what I did. We have phrases like, haters going to hate. Be true to yourself. This is the world reclassifying shame, right? People that are doing things that maybe they know is wrong, they suspect is wrong, 
But rather than let that change behavior, they reclassify, oh, it's actually not wrong. I'm just doing me. I'm just doing what I want to do. I'm just doing what's being true to myself. And so they reclassify. We can easily reclassify right is wrong and wrong is right. Because I don't want to feel shame. The misapplication of Matthew 7, right? Judge not lest you be judged. The misapplication of that is an appeal to remove shame. Don't make me feel shame. You're no better than me. You don't have any right to make me feel shame for what I'm doing, right? You should feel shame because you're doing your own thing, whatever it is that you're doing. And that is technically true, I guess. We all have things in our lives that are, are wrong. And yet the responsibility in Matthew 7 ultimately is do not, do not what? Do not remove the speck from your brother's eye before you've done the other, but you still need to do that and then remove the speck from your brother's eye. We still need to hold each other accountable. That's what he said before. Have nothing to do with such a person that they may feel ashamed. If shame comes from understanding right and wrong, when we redefine right and wrong, we remove shame's purpose from our lives. Either we refuse to be ashamed of the things that God finds shameful, or we start to be ashamed of the things that the world finds shameful. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3.17, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. What does that mean? They're doing things that God finds to be shameful, but they're excited about it. Man, look how awesome we are. All the sinning that we can do. Why is it that they can do that? Because their minds are set on earthly things. When we redefine right and wrong, not use God's definition, but use our own definition, the end result will be that I feel good about doing the wrong things. He says it this way, Peter does in 1 Peter 4, 3. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry, all sorts of stuff. With respect to this, they are surprised when they do not, you do not join with them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. The, the word shame isn't used in this verse, but what's the point of the maligning? They want us to feel shame. Right? Why aren't you, do, why aren't you doing these things with us? They want us to feel ashamed of our choices because they have redefined, they are using their own definition of right and wrong and want us to use that definition too. And they know how shame works. The world knows how shame works, the social function of shame, in order to incentivize us to adopt the worldly morality, the maligning, the attempt to impose shame upon us, that we would feel bad that we do these things, or rather that we would feel bad that we are not doing these things. Thus, we must constantly evaluate. This is the individual responsibility. What makes me feel shame? What makes you feel shame? And is it the things that God says should make you feel shame? Or is it your own definition of right and wrong that results in you feeling shame for things that God doesn't say anything about? We think about Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And here's the phrase, right? Despising the shame. What shame? 
The shame of the world, right? The shame of, of all the people on the cross at the cross. You think about that scene in the cross. Oh, he says he's the son of God. Oh, you think you're so great? You come down from there. They were trying to shame him, right? To make him feel bad because he would not submit to them. He would not submit to the scribes and the Pharisees. He would not submit to their way of thinking. They wanted him to feel bad, to feel like he was doing something wrong. And he despised that shame. That shame is meaningless. That shame is worthless. Jesus didn't care if the world thought he was doing what was wrong. Jesus didn't care if the world thought bad things about him. He was going to do what was right for our sake. And the result of that was what? He is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul says it this way in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We see a couple of elements about this, right? In the gospel we see what should cause us shame. The righteousness of God is revealed. How God defines right and wrong. What God thinks is right. What God thinks is wrong. That is the, the, the things that God says are wrong. Those are the things that should make me feel shame. Not what the world says about right and wrong. And therefore I should not be ashamed of the gospel. I should not allow the negative feelings of others if I'm pursuing Christianity. I'm pursuing my walk with God. As they malign me, they outcast me, they attempt to use shame to make me change my behavior. It should not work. Now, the shame that comes because I know I've done things that God does not like, the shame that I feel, the, the negative feeling I have when I'm confronted with sin, absolutely, that should cause me to change my behavior. And I really want to emphasize this. Shame has a purpose. If, and only if, two things. If you allow shame to motivate change, and if you feel shame for the right things. When we change either of those, when we don't allow shame to motivate change, and when we start to feel ashamed of the wrong things, that's when shame begins to consume us, to destroy us, to lead us from God. And so we end with this idea. No sin is too great. No mistake is too bad. I don't know what it is in your life that causes shame. Now, if you're ashamed of the gospel, you feel shame because you stand out at work, that's its own sin, right? That you should feel shame of that you're, it's kind of like meta shame. You feel shame at your other shame. But maybe you feel shame because of some mistake that you've made, some sin you've committed in your past. I don't know what it is. I don't know every sin that everybody has. But God is ready to absolve you of that shame. He's ready right now, today to remove that shame from your life. If what? Well, the verse that was read at the beginning. Revelation 3, 15 through 19. I know your works. God knows. Jesus knows. We think about the shame that we have, right? We want to hide it. I hate to break it to you. Jesus already knows it. He knows the bad thing that you did way in the past, whatever it was. I don't know. He already knows about it, though. You're not hiding it from him. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Word that you were neither cold or hot. So because you are lurkwarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. They were ashamed of the wrong things, right? They should have been ashamed of their sin, but they, were ashamed, they weren't ashamed of that. They thought, oh man, I'm doing so great in the world. They're thinking about things in the worldly way, right? 
They didn't realize their shame. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Not naked in the ways of the world. Again, they were thinking about things in the way the world does, but they were spiritually naked. Their souls were laid bare. Their sin was obvious because they refused to change it. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love. I reprove and discipline. Might I suggest that shame is one of the ways that the Spirit reproves and disciplines us on a daily basis. You do something wrong and you feel shame. God is disciplining you, making you feel bad. Why? Ultimately, what's the point? Because he loves us and wants us to be better. He loves us and wants us to have that perfect relationship with him. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So what? Be zealous and repent. If you feel shame today, whatever it is, I don't care what it is, God will forgive you. If you confess that sin, you repent of it, you turn from it, you decide not to do it anymore. If, if you are already a Christian, that's your process. If you're not a Christian already, there's some extra things you should do, though. Still confess, still repent, but we know that, of course, if you have not been united with Christ, that you need to be united with him in immersion, that you need to confess him before others. And that shame, again, whatever it is, that shame can go away today. Amen? And as you come forward, the rest of us, we think about the social function of shame, that we will not feel negatively towards those who respond to the invitation. Rather, we will rejoice, right? Rejoice, why? Because somebody is taking the first steps to making things right with God. Coming forward is not a shameful thing. It is something to be celebrated, to be rejoiced, to be admired. If you're ready, come while we stand and sing.